Hello. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm Gramby. Um, do you ever, like, you just said 170, so I was like, okay, where am I going to say a start? Mm -hmm. What's the highest you've ever counted in your life? One, two. Uh, well, you know, one by of the one, things that I... By ones. Oh, by ones. I was going to say, when I try to fall asleep, sometimes I'll, uh, like, count prime numbers just to see, uh, just to kind of clear my head. Wow. But, um, but that doesn't get very high either. <laughs> Did you ever get into Wordle? No, I've never done it. You know they have a new it's, game. No. It's called Connections, where mm -hmm. you're trying to pair four things together, and you have 16 words to, to choose from. Are there, is, Was that New York Times? Is that what it is? I think so. Are they a big game shop? I mean, I, I guess, you know, the media world is so interesting how so, some parts are, are shrinking, some are increasing and going crazy. Uh, it's interesting to me that a world where the premise is still the same, let's just say content, mm -hmm. the media aspect of that, the, the actual platform of that thing, some people are innovating with it and some people are. And it's it's quite interesting to see that, you know the the old school traditional stuff is yeah, the people that are not I guess it's with with everything right. If you're not innovating, it's just a slow ride to the bottom. Uh, Why do you think that is with the with, with specifically like traditional journalism that they're not up with the times where clearly content is is bigger than ever. Why do you think I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, do they operate out of fear? Um, yeah, that they're trying to squeeze every last penny that they can. I mean, revenues are tough. And, I mean, that's just, boy, not the place I, I want to be. I don't know either. But innovation, obviously, is is important. And so, like we said, some, some companies growing, some people not. Innovation is going to be the uh, topic of discussion today, I think. Maybe we'll see. Maybe it'll be Bush Gardens. Um, <laughs> maybe it won't. Dustin Dunbar, how's it going? It's going really well. I uh, can't complain. So I'm uh, I'm inside, staying cool. Got a cup of coffee and a glass of water, and uh, I'm excited to uh, talk about whatever is on everybody's minds today, <laughs> especially mine. So, are you afraid of the heat? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I do not like the heat. I am a mountain man. I'm a. How are you? Yeah, I'm a mountain man. Like I, I love the snow. Um, I just I hate beaches straight up. I'm not a beach guy. It just it's so boring sometimes. Just sitting on a beach and just looking out at the open expanse and the horizon. Um, it is interesting. Yeah, they're beach people and they're mountain people, and very rarely do the two. Uh, do you get people that like both? But it's it's usually one or the other. Yeah. No, I've never heard of the beach being boring, though. So I, I find it extremely boring. But yeah, but <laughs> no, I mean it is interesting. You're staring off into you know the great yonder, if you will, and it's like yeah, yeah. yeah I well, maybe maybe it's because I'm not going with the right people, you know, to kind of do entertainment, you know, pick up some games and stuff like that. So maybe it's it's I had to talk to my wife about it maybe I need to like re-examine who we're going to the beach with are you just not a good sandcastle maker is that what it is you know I could never figure it out yeah I just can never get that right consistency yeah buying that piece you know putting yeah. some water in there and pouring it over it seems really difficult yeah, yeah it is I'm more I was more like a digger 
right? Like I just wanted a big, I just wanted trenches along. As a kid, uh, building snow forts though, that was, that was some, Mm -hmm. that was fun stuff. Yeah, that was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to (laughs) quit school and go chase Sean White around the country and the world and, and be a professional snowboarder, but wasn't in the cards for me. So here I am. Hmm. Tim, can you ski or snowboard? It's been many, many years. Uh, I think the last time I s- skied was uh, in Turkey. So that was 20, 20 something years ago. Wow. You, you think muscle memory keeps that up? You think you could do it again? Well, I, mentally, I think that I, uh, it's just, it's one of those things that uh, mentally you feel like you can and you remember it. And that, but then you, once you're on skis, then you realize uh, that we're all, we're all getting older. And that sense of balance and flexibility is not, um, <clears throat> not what it once was. Using muscles you didn't think you weren't using anymore. Well, I mean, I, yeah, part. I mean, like, I, I feel like I could totally uh, jump on a skateboard and just and thrash around for a little bit. Thrash. And, and do, wow. do, do my thing. But yeah, I can't do that anymore. Hmm. I try. Yeah. Shred some gnar. Do it all. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I'm done with the extreme questions. So, Tim. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's just. So I, I guess that is interesting, though, from a business standpoint, in terms of um, with the whole innovation aspect, when you're solving a problem, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, like I, I recently heard a pitch from a uh, from a skateboard shop that uh, so everything old becomes new again, or maybe it just never went away. I don't know, but um, hmm. yeah, that's a I, that's a great point. I think you know, kind of what we're seeing a lot. You know, just from my standpoint, when it comes to, you know, innovation, I mean, we see a lot of innovation and great ideas, but when it comes to the greater kind of ecosystem and like the big players that are in that space, uh, when they're looking at innovation, they're not innovating in-house, you know, you're not like Mm. the New York Times, right? Or like a a Google or an Apple, they're not innovating in-house, they're purchasing the innovation. So you see a lot of these entrepreneurs, uh, kind of reaching their exit velocity through acquisition via a Google and Apple or, you know, large healthcare systems. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of what we're seeing now is not really, uh, the innovation kind of coming from these big players. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see, you know, especially post COVID, you know, what's the next, uh, Facebook, right. Or like the next, you know, uh, I guess now Meta, right? So what, what's going to be that next company that's truly innovating how we conduct operations? And I think that's yeah. kind of what you're looking at when it comes to innovating, you know, besides like the flying cars, it's kind of like, what's the business operation look like? Where are those flying cars? I mean, this is ridiculous. Can yeah, I know, over? right? Waiting on it. I've been waiting on it since the Transformers movie, right? Transformers. Like, I mean, I've been waiting for it since Marty McFly. I need a hoverboard or something. <laughs> I want something. that hoverboard. Yeah, give me something. Um, doing, and we'll talk about yeah. the investment side of everything in, yeah. in a minute. But you, you talked about exits. I mean, is that really what investors care about? Is having an exit? Is that uh, yeah, I would say so. I think that in general, on the surface, most investors are going to want to see outsized returns via exit, right? You know, if they're purchased out of position in a series A, series B, series C, or, you know, an IPO. Um, 
that's how we seed our returns on the risk that we took in investing in a company. Um, I think that there are other players out there, though, right now that are focused on actually trying to grow the ecosystem um, that are doing it a little bit more focused approach to founders that typically you don't see from, you know, that could be a regional focus, um, you know, uh, specifically like South Side, Southwest Virginia, right? You don't typically see a lot of investment flowing in there, but you see more focus on investing in the development of those places as an ecosystem as a whole. And then venture capital kind of tends to follow after that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting that venture capital really is focused on, you know, the capital markets because that's the system that we operate in, but there are players out there that are double bottom line funds are specifically right. Um, VIPC is focused on building the ecosystem as well as building out outsized returns for the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's, that's our investor, right? Is the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yeah. So for those that are, that don't know Dustin, Dustin is from, uh, from the Virginia Innovation Partnership Corporation, uh, VIPC, and specifically you are on the, the venture side with, uh, so go in, go into Virginia, Virginia Venture Partners and, and what you guys are all about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Happy to. Um, so, you know, Tim, like I said, we're a double bottom line fund. Not only are we trying to invest in companies here based in Virginia, we're trying to build that entrepreneurial ecosystem in Virginia as well. Uh, so VIPC has multiple arms that are trying to accomplish that. My team is the equity investment arm. That's Virginia Venture Partners. Um, and we're making investments at the pre-seed and seed stage level. Uh, so that's uh, $200,000 checks up to $1 million checks. And we're trying to maintain that relationship uh, with the company and uh, that we want to come in at the pre-seed stage and help them get to that Series A and hopefully help them network and uh, and really kind of make the, you know, grow their company because in the end, we see a growing entrepreneurial ecosystem as beneficial for us because of one, jobs and two, the economy. We want to see a really robust and healthy, dynamic economy here in Virginia. And so that's our focus. Uh, there's other teams within VIPC. We've got the Commonwealth Commercialization Fund. They're really focused on providing grants. I think it's up to $100,000 now, uh, specifically more focused on like tech. Uh, they're more tech focused uh, at the very early stages when people are typically raising via family and friends. Um, and then we've got other arms that are focused on grants. They're more towards the entrepreneurial ecosystem players. You know, for instance, 757 Angels Accelerator Program. Uh, we've got the entrepreneurial eco ecosystems grants going to uh, programs like that. Lighthouse Labs here in Richmond, Virginia. They receive grants from us as well because we just were really interested in trying to build out that ecosystem because, again, we just want a dynamic economy here in the Commonwealth. How many people uh, are involved are, are part of the venture partner side? Uh, there are eight of us now. Yeah. We've and, grown and really, really fast. How do you guys, and then how, how are you all divided? <clears throat> is it based on uh, specialty or is it uh, geography? It's both actually. Uh, mm -hmm. So you'll see uh, Jen O'Daniel is uh, she's the investment director in uh, Northern Virginia. So there's a Northern Virginia uh, fun, uh, fund uh, team. And then there's, 
we colloquially we call it the rest of Virginia. Anything really south of Fredericksburg along the 64 corridor, uh, and that's Alex Euler's uh, investment team, which I'm a part of. Uh, so I cover Richmond's. Uh, we've got a Charlottesville uh, associate. Alex is in the you know Newport News Hampton Roads area. Greg Feldman is a uh, kind of external partner of ours. Uh, he's in Roanoke. Uh, and then we've got uh, kind of a, a real kind of focus on, um, I guess, sectors as well. So Marco Rubin really focused on clean energy, aerospace. Uh, Raj, another external partner of ours, really focused on like SaaS platforms, uh, marketplaces, uh, and you know, health, life science, um, software services. Uh, so we, we kind of try to cover all our bases with that because we are, in the end, kind of tech agnostic. I am interested in hearing more about like what 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 has risen to the surface from a state level standpoint in terms mm. of uh, if we had to if there was if we had to report to of the federal level saying that, hey, Virginia, this this is what we are really, really strong in. What would that be? I would say the first thing that comes to mind, cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, is that, is that, that primarily in Northern Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because of the, you know, when you think of kind of like uh, venture capital and an ecosystem, when they're coming into regional areas, they're going to look at that talent that's coming out of the workforce. And it's all coming out of, you know, the DOD, Department of Defense, contractors, and as well as like veterans uh, coming out of the military. Um, so Northern Virginia is heavy with cybersecurity. Isn't isn't it isn't like ninety percent of all internet traffic goes through Northern Virginia? It's some crazy number. I mean, that would be insane to think about. That's crazy. I kind of makes sense with the data centers that we're putting in. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it is it's really it's fascinating. And I think that we had a a a guest earlier that has a data center, uh, but. Yeah, it, it just and that just continues to grow and grow and grow. Uh, oh, seventy percent of the world's internet traffic flows through data centers in Northern Virginia. Wow! And that's, so that seventy percent of the world. I mean, that's that's uh, that's that's fascinating. That is, every, and every week at Thursday at about eleven fifteen, it decides to not work at my house because <laughs> <laughs> all that traffic's flowing up to Nova. <laughs> Ugh. Um, so a lot of people have said Nova. And then the rest of Virginia is is nothing compared to, to Northern Virginia. When you're looking at, at from like an innovation perspective, from a growth perspective and, and, and things like that, when you look at list, and I don't know that you actually have ever done this, but when you look at like the list and Virginia's best in business or top five in business state and stuff like that, is that really because of Northern Virginia or are they really looking at the full state aspect of that? Like is it is it without that, do you think Virginia... Do you, do you think that Northern Virginia alone is kind of winning that award or do you really feel like it's a it's a state award? So I think I think it's mostly a whole holistic approach um, because while there is a lot of economy uh, generated out of Northern Virginia, um, most our largest export from uh, the Commonwealth and that drives our GDP is agriculture as the largest export that's our biggest driver of GDP here in the Commonwealth. So it's really kind of more of a holistic approach when it comes to innovation. um, I will say pre COVID, I will say a lot of it was coming from uh, Virginia. Um, I'm sorry, Northern Virginia, 
but now because of COVID and people, you know, migrating out and trying to, you know, work from home, uh, doing the remote work aspect of life and trying to, you know, live that American dream of owning property that doesn't, you know, cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, it's really driven innovation outwards. And we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, people, you know, from Richmond now, especially, um, and surprisingly, I guess I shouldn't say surprisingly, but to me, it was a surprise. I see a lot of great entrepreneurs coming out of Roanoke as well. There's just a really good ecosystem there in Roanoke, um, you know, from around the life sciences and healthcare aspect. And uh, you see a lot of kind of more uh, CPG, you know, consumer packaged goods, really good businesses coming out of the Newport News area. So it's weird how these kind of mm. regional focuses happen. But I think it's just because like minds attract like minds. That's my I didn't, theory, know, I didn't know that about agriculture. That's cool. Mm. I mean, it makes sense. I thought it would have been data centers, but I guess no one really, no one really works at it. A data center, right? There's big buildings, 70% of the world. <laughs> it's just like people work there. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. That, what's that? The scene from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. You know, it's just like nobody in there. Swell. Well, I mean, they're everywhere up there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see any yesterday, Tim? I mean, uh, we, we uh, well, the thing about it is you, you really don't even, you, you don't know. not even realize. Yeah. 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 We, there, we did go by uh, a building that was being constructed with, there was going to be another data center that was being, it's just, it's wild. Hmm. It's wild up there. Yeah. I Meta is putting a lot in like Meta Facebook is putting a lot of data centers in Virginia. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Is that, I'm surprised that uh, in terms of the, 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 is it transatlantic underwater, uh, cabling that goes in uh, that, that more is not talked about uh with that i mean that's just um it's it's a really it's a big deal yeah i'm still it's, amazed that that's a, a thing right like that we actually did that as humans right and and yeah and just uh, <laughs> yeah that, that is super super wild um well i mean maybe they'll uh find the um never mind i'm not gonna make it back <laughs> find the kaijus <laughs> Gonna make a bad joke. Like, you know, I think Microsoft doesn't Microsoft have a huge data center in like Surrey County, like their biggest data center or something like that. I'm like not out, sure. Out in the middle of nowhere. I think Kevin Curry used to tell me about that. Like, hmm. um, you know Kevin Curry, right, Tim? Yeah. 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 Um, so I feel like there's a lot of like just not known things or not talked a lot about things, but from from a data center perspective. So do you think that the with that cable being here, that's gonna bring a bunch of data centers is that is that the idea what's what have you heard about that uh i well uh, yeah from what i understand that the uh, like facebook microsoft or meta uh that they're all looking to expand here but i mean it's a, to me and to your point zach i mean that's that's all news that should be shared and, and talked about having these uh the anchor anchor type businesses to build around i mean we have we have so much that we can take advantage of that um it's nice to see ecosystems being developed um i mean so like justin is, is there other states that do the whole venture partner thing at the state level or is it unique to virginia no it's not unique to us um there are other states that do that um there are states that probably do less um investment than we do 
Um, but, you know, one state that we kind of modeled our investment into other venture capital funds was North Carolina. Um, hmm. So they kind of they led the way, I would say, in how they did uh, investing from the state to other venture capital funds in like a fund of fund manner. Um, so that's we took their playbook and a couple other states. But, you know, the other day I just ha I had a call with Tennessee um, and they were kind of holding a launch Tennessee a quarterly report and I just kind of wanted to see how they were going about their investment thesis. So there's a lot of uh, kind of shared knowledge that passes between um, our our states. And I think, you know, we we have a, a friendly rivalry with Maryland, you know, kind of battling over these D.C. companies of where they're going to go. And, you know, happy to report that, you know, Virginia's winning out <laughs> on those. Uh, but we've got some good friends over there in Tedco out of Maryland because they're trying to do the same thing as we are. And, and uh, so, what, like, what's what's the 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 large grand vision in terms of obviously you're invested in these uh, in these companies, you want to see a return. Um, like, what is the what is the end goal? Is it do you all, the returns that you all get? Does that then allow you to invest in more companies, and then it just continues to cycle through? Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially it becomes an evergreen fund um, and the money flows uh, two directions back to us to invest in more companies uh, and also back to the Commonwealth of Virginia. So, you know, in two ways, you know, as if we make an outsized return uh, as well as the uh, the, you know, the tax, hopefully tax revenue that we generate uh, through more jobs and companies being uh, propped up here. Uh, so I think in the long run, what, what we like to see is more venture capital firms focusing in on areas outside of Northern Virginia uh, that are coming to uh, other parts of Virginia to really kind of generate that entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I, I think, you know, we're trying to avoid that, you know, the Silicon Valley model where it's all focused in one area and try to spread it out and have pockets uh, that really kind of generate that uh, throughout the, the Commonwealth, because, you know, as you can see in Roanoke, they're really building around the Carillion. Um, and there's a lot of kind of venture capital being stood up there. James Ramey, great guy, uh, you know, really knee deep in it in Roanoke and really helping that ecosystem out. And then you've got uh, RBTC, the Roanoke Blacksburg uh, Tech Council doing a lot there. So, you know, you're kind of seeing now the focus uh, migrating to Hampton Roads. Uh, and so we're we're doing what we can. Um, and I think the end goal is for us to kind of be there to help out in the very beginning of the stages. And then hopefully just kind of be that, you know, ignition uh, spark to really kind of generate everything else and be catalytic in that aspect. And that's, that's what we want to be. Are you typically, uh, do you typically follow a deal or, or do you lead deals? Is there a, any idea what that mix is or do you not lead at all? Uh, we, we will lead. We will lead around. Um, typically, we won't lead, though. Uh, we like to see uh, the round kind of coming together um, and then we'll come in, especially with our the way we receive our funds. We receive both from the federal and the state level. Uh, so we have to see a match um, in order to deploy those funds. We can still deploy without a match, but we have a larger pool of money to match funds mm -hmm. with. So. We like to see other investors kind of putting the round together and then we'll come in and and hopefully, you know, be that keystone, really. That's mm -hmm. the way we like to look at it. 
And then uh, another quick question. Do you, do yeah. you guys do follow on funding uh, with? Yep. You will. Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, we do follow ons just uh, very, you know, typically we, we like to maintain that relationship, uh, but we're also standing up a new fund, hopefully here in the next year or two. Um, that takes um, some of the really good returns we've had and, and make larger investments on a company that's doing really well at a series A and a series B round. Uh, so, you know, you're talking multi-million dollar uh, fundraises and hopefully participating in that seven figure range. I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Either of you can, can answer it. Um, 15 years ago, 13 years ago, it seemed like, ecosystems became started becoming a buzzword it, it is that is that a factual statement or do you think they've been going around forever like you, you mentioned silicon valley it seems like everyone at some point was trying to copy them in some sort of way um is, is ecosystem things is that is that a fairly new phenomenon if you will I, I don't know, to tell you the truth. I, I feel like, you know, it's it's definitely a buzzword, that's for sure. We use it a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when we're trying to define an ecosystem, I think really what we want to do is, you know, define it as something that's dynamic versus something that's very focused on a certain sector, right? And, you know, you could think of Silicon Valley as really focused on that kind of SaaS sector, right? The software sector. And I, I think that you know, we as a Commonwealth are focused more on trying to create something that's a little bit more dynamic than just focused on one sector. Because again, dynamic just, meaning diverse and yeah, diverse. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. So you know, and that's you know, Main Street businesses, right? Um, and everything kind of feeds into itself. That's where that kind of ecosystem stuff comes into. You got, you know, Tim mentioned you know, that that anchor business, right? I think about Capital One here in Richmond, and how many people spin out of Capital One to start up their own their own company. It, it really is kind of amazing. So that is this kind of ecosystem, right? Where you have an anchor business coming because of the talent and the workforce that is here. And then that talent being developed at a capital one and then spinning out and creating other fintech firms or other software firms, uh, yeah. you know, and then that drives more business. People are coming here and spouses are, you know, doing other jobs that are more focused maybe on the main street, you know? So it is, it is definitely an ecosystem in that aspect. Yeah. I think to add to that, um, like the next thing to follow suit is, is really, a, it's a culture. Uh, it's, it's instilling that just like if you want to do music, you go to Nashville. If you want movies, you go to LA comedy, New York. Uh, yeah, but we, we, I think you've got to, we've got to create the, the culture. I mean, the, building the ecosystem, but then people really, really buying in, um, is, is really important. And yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about Roanoke, really uh, cool stuff happening there. It's, uh... What do you think about ecosystems though? Cause it, 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 like, I don't know, as a guy that maybe pushed that thing for a while, I just, I, I wonder if you can actually force them to be built or if they actually yeah, have to I, happen. Well, that's, no, and I that's, think that it has to be organic and that's and where I, the cults, the, the culture piece comes in. Yeah. And all of these cities across the country are, I feel like are trying to force things and it's like, but those things happen for a reason, you know, the, the San Francisco things happen because 
because there was some sort of culture of, of, of really smart people coming together into a thing. And so like, I do think that aspect is incredibly important. Yeah. Let's figure out how to get all those collisions to happen. You know, the, the, the serendipity to happen in a, in a, in a specific room. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, that the world um, is kind of pushing that. And then you have like the state by state or city by city, state by state, you know, ordeal, if you will, when really are we competing worldwide against other places? And then there's that kind of appetite that I don't think gets brought up a lot, um, especially in technology. Well, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, just to, like in the sense of uh, like right now, uh, Qatar, I mean, they, they, the Middle East, they know they're running out of oil. They know the world is, is, is moving away from oil with uh, electrification. And, and yeah, is so that what it's are, called? Qatar? It's not Qatar? What uh, is it? Can, it's both. Uh, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, <laughs> I actually don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, it's it said both ways, but, but they are, they are, like from their sovereign wealth fund, they are they are diverting a lot of that, and there is a really really big focus on creating that entrepreneurial ecosystem and, and there. So is that why all all the Saudi money is starting to roll in too? Because the oil is yeah. becoming a thing that yeah uh, well, yeah they know they need to do something. They gotta they gotta. That's expand into other areas. Yeah, and, and so and and that's the whole thing. Like which. It's great that we're uh, that that we have a VIP seat that that's enabling us to invest in different ecosystems and companies and whatnot. It's a, I mean, it's just we've got to focus on it. I mean, because if if we don't, I mean, there's as we all know, founders are going to go wherever the uh, where it's opportunity. There's funding, and it's it's easy to do business. Yeah, completely agree. It's very true. Yeah, and it's uh, I think. You know, when you talk about developing, you know, these ecosystems, you know, people want to go where they know they can do well and have a yeah. high chance, high likely chance of success and uh, yeah. want to be supported uh, as well as want to find that talent that exists. Right. Where's right. the talent? Um, I think it's easier to access talent these days because of remote work. And I I can't think of a single company that we've invested in that's, you know, has like a you know, all their people in one place, right. In an office. Um, so it is kind of strange, uh, trying to, you know, figure that one out. So with, with regard to that, if you're, uh, all the remote work, it, as long as it's headquartered in Virginia, then, then they mm -hmm. qualify for investment. They knowing that there's going to be remote workers out of state or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tim. Yeah. We, we want, the headquarters has to be here in Virginia. Uh, majority of the C-suite uh, and the, you know, the CEO needs to be focused here uh, in Virginia. Cause uh, you know, really in the end, you know, while the talent could be coming from Utah, California, um, Texas, um, anywhere really uh, when it comes to, you know, developing the software or developing the tech uh, we want to see that, that CEO here in Virginia with the headquarters here. Um, and we, we see that in the end, um, while the, you know, some people might be doing remote work, uh, from out of state, most of the remote work is going to be in state just because of the connections and the natural networks that you have with people. Mm -hmm. Cause 
you know, I, you, you still can't beat face to face. You still can't beat. Yeah. It. I, yeah. Especially from a hardware standpoint. I mean, you can't, I am convinced you couldn't, the iPhone never would have been developed with remote, with a remote workforce. It just, I just, I, I don't see how it could ever happen. So yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, we've got a portfolio company that's uh, moving to Danville just because of, you know, the tech that he's working on. Um, and he needs that, that, you know, the manpower, he needs the manpower uh, to be hands-on uh, and it doesn't exist here in Richmond. Uh, so he's got to go find it. And it's in Danville, Virginia right now, because they've got a great ecosystem around advanced manufacturing. Uh, but yeah, to your point, like so you just, you can't, you still can't beat the face to face. Is Twitter really called X now? Yeah, I still think it's called Twitter, right? No, they 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 formerly it's, uh, it's now X. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Do they actually own the rights to that though? Isn't there? No, yeah, Microsoft. That was Elon's first uh, first company. Yeah, he's tried yeah. to keep this X thing going in all his companies, but I know they don't own it in Japan, and that's a major major user base for him is Japan. And so it's, it's not a rib. It's not a joke. It's the real thing. No, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a real, yeah, this has been his master plan. Uh, Elon's master plan for a really, really long time. And it, so he, he just, he made the determination that it was quicker for him to acquire Twitter and build it off of the, the Twitter platform than it would be for him to build it from, from zero. Oh, I see. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. Because yeah. you're 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 talking about like when he was with the PayPal, right? Because yeah, he was doing yeah, PayPal, yeah. and that makes sense. Because I just heard like an interview the other day where he was talking about trying to make this like a payment system as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's so X is going to become like the everything app. It's going to be a mega mm. a mega app with where you'll be able to payment processing and so yeah. Um, yeah. Did he already own that that, that domain? Okay. Do you know what he acquired it for way back when? I have no idea. So what? Twenty six people own a one letter domain, ish. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know that I've ever been to a one letter domain before until I looked at that and I said, "That's interesting." Yeah, yeah. I'd be. I would be very wary of typing x dot com. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what do you guys look for? Like when you get in, I've never applied or, or, or tried to get any funding through you guys, but let's say I'm going through the process. Am I just going online, filling out some paperwork and, and, and hoping that you guys like what you see is, is that the immediate thing? Like what, what, what makes the best um, proposal for someone to, to get funded by you guys? That's a great question, Zach. So I think for us, what we really like to see is, you know, just kind of at the stages that we invest in, um, we like to see an actual product that's kind of been tested, that's generating just a little bit of revenue or is just about to generate revenue. That's the perf that's the sweet spot for us. Um, however, we are always willing to meet with anybody. It's just part of our mandate. Uh, so it's an open application process on our website. Uh, anybody can apply. And once that application hits our, our web form, we have to meet with you. Um, and I, 
you know, I know some people in VIPC and Virginia Venture Partners might be like, please don't apply unless you have a great, great product already. I, I would say do it anyways, because I think it always helps you uh, to practice. Uh, come forward, pitch, get in front of as many people as you can, because you're always mm -hmm. trying to perfect your art of the pitch, of telling your story, of getting that narrative down on what you're really trying to sell. And it also helps just kind of building a network as well, because you never know where it's going to go. And I will say most people are, are really willing to pay it forward. I know I am because the only way I got this job is someone paid it forward for me by taking time out of their day to tell me what it's like to work in venture capital um, and what venture capital looks like. Um, so I, I definitely recommend anybody applying. Um, but I will say, you know, with the people that we invest with, along with other venture capital funds, it is that Hey, I've got a fundraise. I'm trying to raise a million and a half dollars uh, because I need to get to this stage. And you got to kind of have those stages laid out on like why you need the money, where that money gets you. Uh, you know, does it get you this you know many customers? You know, if I get one million dollars, I can generate sales and leads, uh, and that gets me to you know uh, evaluation of this, right? So I think you know really trying to get out there and you know, pitching people, um, you just, you should have something that's put together versus like an idea. Um, but at the same time, if you have an idea and you're just trying to figure it out, just talk to people. What, um, what would you, what have you seen on the valuation side? If, if things mm -hmm. was in the, in the 21, 22 timeframe, were they, did you see that they were really, really escalated like they were across yes. the U S and, and if, are we back to reality or are, do you still see founders that are asking for way too high uh, evaluation? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, definitely COVID was just, it was generating really, really astronomical uh, market valuations. Uh, and we are back to reality. I will say the one area that hasn't been hit as hard when it comes to valuations is the pre-seed stage. And I think because pre-seed has always maintained like a really good uh, level of reality. Uh, so that's always kind of been like the benchmark. Um, and those valuations haven't sunk at all. Um, for other, I do see a lot of entrepreneurs coming in um, that haven't generated revenue that are asking, you know, for a $15 million valuation. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's no, no there, problem. There's a no conversation customer. that needs to be had there, you know, like, hey. You know, that's a little much. Um, you kind of need to get some revenue before you can ask for that money. Yeah, well, I mean, even, yeah, but, but <laughs> if even, someone's willing to pay for it, though, I will say, if someone's willing to pay for it, uh, you'll see, you'll see people come in and investors will come in and they'll be like, you know what, we like you, we like this idea, we're going to pay at this valuation, and you only need that one one investor to believe in your story and your valuation, and others will jump on board. It's 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 true. So you'll still see those outliers. Yeah, but they but they still have to grow into that valuation mm -hmm. when they go come yeah. to uh, for the next round of funding. Uh, yes, it's, it's going to catch up to them at some point. Yeah. So we we did see kind of some flat. We haven't seen any down rounds, uh, but we have seen some flat uh, flat rounds, and it it is what it is. But how that said, how how does how do you all work in terms of uh, recognizing? Your, your portfolio is it just based on just hard hard exits or, or like when the money hits the account cash in cash out or uh 
Yeah, we do two. We do realized and unrealized gains. So, you know, when cash hits realized, unrealized is just kind of based on valuations. Uh, you know, we use a database um, that's provided to us. Um, and that's, you know, really that's the unrealized of like, hey, the wrote the had a fundraise at this valuation. And that's an unrealized gain for us. That, that's typically how we evaluate our portfolio management. And is there, I mean, so if, if you, is there indigestion going on uh, in terms of with, with companies that you've uh, written checks to before now that valuations are coming back down or is? Uh, no, I want to say so much. I think that there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of worry. Um, yeah. Entrepreneurs were really worried. Um, and I will say a lot of people were really worried, especially with the Silicon Valley bank um, fall through. Right. And uh, the run on that. Um, so people were really worried, but I think that, Entrepreneurs have proved to be really resilient in recognizing that this is just a blip. Did you and see, that, did you have companies, uh, mm-hmm. do we have Virginia based companies, a bank with Silicon Valley bank? Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had, I think we had a hundred. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That didn't have like huge, right. You know, like a, you know, a million dollars or so in the bank, but it's just that that was such a major player in venture debt and like how yeah. people were accessing money that people had payable accounts, you know, mostly it was for accounts payable to pay their employees. Um, that's where they had their bank accounts with, uh, with Silicon Valley bank. So people were really worried there. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, entrepreneurs are really resilient, really adaptive, uh, recognize that they just need to be get tight on cash and be more, uh, efficient in, in generating revenues, uh, with the cash that they have on hand. And so what we've seen in our portfolio is the, they're, they're, they've got it down, you know, they're, you know, there's a little bit of struggle, but you know, there was a struggle at the beginning anyways, to get that company started. So the mm-hmm. struggle is just always part of it. That's part of the journey. Uh, and I think our entrepreneurs have proved to be the more, you know, stronger in that aspect. I agree. So in the, in the case of those hundred companies with Silicon Valley bank, well, what were the conversations like? What happened? Did they lose a significant amount of money? Were they able to yeah, they were able to recoup all their uh, all their accounts payable because uh, it was that weekend, right? It was like crashed on a Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. People kind of scrambling because you know they had to write employee checks on a Wednesday, right? And then you know, very fortunate um, that I think the, you know the, came in the, and the Fed came in and was like, "Hey, well, we'll get it all." I mean, you know, there's pros and cons of that, you know, kind of uh, play, uh, but you know, we would have had quite a few companies that would have been strung up on paying employees. Hmm. So the government backed everyone out or. Yeah. Was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Late, late Sunday night. Uh, yeah, they late came, Sunday they night. came through. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I think, you know, uh, I, you know, I think the government here in Virginia was trying to figure out how they could possibly do something for the entrepreneurial hmm. ecosystem and that aspect as well. I think they were working through the weekend. Uh, trying to trying to figure out how they could support some of those accounts payable. Wow. You know, the, the government prints cash for a living. So, I mean, yeah, I wish I could. Right. Hey, you know, just uh, run for office and um, somehow get in there. Yeah, you'll be fine. You know? Yeah. Mm. Wild. Justin, do you do you all have a uh, a due diligence team, or is that is that all part of your job description? Yeah, you're looking at him. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, so. Our due diligence team is our is our team. Our investment directors are involved as the you know on due diligence as much as the associates are. Uh, 
Um, so it really is. And uh, we we're digging in through market research uh, references. References are a big one because, you know, at, at this stage, when it comes to, um, you know, pre-seed investments, really what we're buying in on is whether or not we believe in the entrepreneur. So hmm. references are a big one for us. So who's providing the reference, the actual company or do you mm -hmm. guys? And then we're doing our own as well. We're doing, you know, background checks as well as, you know, calling people um, that we know that have worked in that space on whether or not, Hey, you know, can we run some ideas by you? Um, you know, cause references on a, like a resume are always kind of funny to me. Like, yeah. Who's going to put some donkey on there. That's not going to give them like an A plus report card. It's just, or maybe people will put the, you know, you know, but you'll be surprised huh? Zach on like who on, when you get a reference call and we've had some bad reference calls where people are like, uh, uh, you know, it's like, oh, all right. Well, I mean, you're the person that they recommended. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the first kind of red flag, I would say. Hmm. Yeah. Do what are uh, uh, touching on due diligence? What what are what are the biggest? What what's the, the the number one number two area that that the entrepreneurs or founders fall short in the due diligence that you find mm. trouble with? I will say a pet peeve of mine is just not a clean data room. Uh, if you are serious about fundraising, uh, have a clean data room. And that's like, a, you know, Google Drive, Dropbox, uh, Box.com, anything where you can have like all your company financials, your operating statements and stuff like that. Because any, any venture capital firm or any angel investor is going to want to see that. Uh, so that's typically kind of a little bit of a red flag for me. Um, I understand that some people are kind of mad scientists, uh, but, you know, if you've got a clean data room that has everything that everybody's looking for, it shows professionalism. And in the end, that's what we want to see. We want to see a professional because we are entrusting, you know, the Commonwealth of Virginia's money in your business and you. Uh, so that's that's the first thing I'll take note. And then another one is not being able to back up and talk through the assumptions in a financial pro forma. So I know, you know, that's it's kind of difficult. And I will say it's it's difficult for founders to kind of walk through, um, a, you know, a cash flow income statement balance sheet. Um, but I think understanding the principles of what your assumptions are in that financial statement uh, are really kind of kind of be the best conversations you can have with a with an investor. Right. Like, hey, you know, I'm assuming this because based on market trends. Right. And that's when you show that you know what you what you actually know and that you're right. worth the salt. But but aren't pro formas just a huge guess? So yeah, I mean absolutely, absolutely. And th and that's what I'm saying like I think that if you can just talk through the assumptions and and you know just be able to point out where people are going to have their questions that that's going to give people more uh, relief around the risk that they're taking and it not working out. Cause if I, you can talk intelligently to your assumptions, that's what it's worth. Yeah. I just mm -hmm. seen some pretty funny ones where you're like, yo, yeah, bro, like you ain't doing that. Like, Hey, I'm going to make $50 million in year one. I'm like, no, you're not <laughs> like, you're just, you're just not. So yeah. in, um, in banking, aren't there like four or five C's that they go by? Like character, credit score, things like that. Do you guys mm. follow anything from an actual traditional banking method when looking at companies on the people? Or no, no, we 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 don't really follow um, anything from the banks per se. But I think really for us, it's just um, I I think 
character is definitely one thing. We've had some investments fall through because we, you know, we did research and we talked to ex-employees uh, and ex-employers, right? So that is, I think character is a, a real big issue because in the end, that's what you're doing. It's all about trust and you're building a relationship and it's a two-way street uh, between an investor and, and uh, an investee. Uh, so I think that's a really big you know, point that you brought up, Zach, is character. And then the other one is just, again, um, when we look at an investment opportunity, um, do you know what you're talking about? That's like, that's what it is. Like, do you, do you know what you're talking about? Can you talk us through and a, a pitch presentation is great. It's slick. It's quick. Um, but let's get into those appendices. Like, let's break it down a little bit. Like, let's talk through some of these assumptions. Let's talk about how you really evaluate the market opportunity that you see here. How long is your the to, uh, due diligence process for you guys typically? Uh, I'd say between four to eight weeks. Uh, between the time that we say, "Hey, this is our this is our proposal," it, you know, I would say probably average probably six to eight. Yeah, our quickest will be four. And from an investment perspective, when someone and Tim, maybe you can answer this too, since since you do some of that. But like, if you're not well versed in an industry, like, how do you actually? know that that can see success mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's a really good question i mean especially for us because we're generalists right mm -hmm. um you'll see a lot of vc firms kind of have their um really kind of tech driven focus on certain sectors um but what we depend on most is our network uh we've got a, an amazing network of other people that we've invested alongside that really do have that industry knowledge uh, and then we also have an external investment committee uh, who are successful entrepreneurs, successful investors. Uh, so that's really kind of who we depend on with some of these reference calls, right? Like, hey, I don't really understand this market. I don't understand um, some of these kind of fundamentals, like walk me through it. And then we talk through kind of what the general idea of the investment opportunity is. Uh, and a lot of times, actually, what we'll do is some of these reference calls will ask um, the, the founder, Hey, would you mind having a kind of three-way call with this person, uh, just to kind of talk through some of the questions that we have. And, uh, you know, more often than not, the founder is happy to do that. Um, cause they, you know, they want the investment opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a with team aspect is so, I mean, gosh, it's just so, it's so important. And so, and, and like, to your point, Zach, uh, someone wants, uh, they're going to make $50 million and they have no team. Yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh... Mm -hmm. They're going to um, make magic happen. Yeah. yeah. Rule the world. Yes. So um, if, if, if someone, if you guys are writing a check for someone to get through the process, everything's going Granby, they're getting just a check or what else are they getting from you? What's what else can they expect to receive from you guys? Yeah. So I think. Um, you know, one thing that we really bring to the table is um, that the network that we have, and I, I know I've said this many times, but um, it is, it is the network of other investors that we have. It's a deep bench of people that we rely on that can help out at the corporate um, strategy level, um, advice uh, and uh, mentorship from people that can, you know, either come on the board if they want, or, you know, just kind of help out. Uh, when you've got certain calls that you need to make. Um, but it is, it's the investor network, I would say. And then we'll be as involved 
as the founder wants us to be. Um, so typically, you know, we'll, we'll come in, everything will be great. We'll have a great handshake. Um, and then it will all just be based off of that founder's um, willingness to work with us. Um, if there's questions that we have, you know, hey, we, can we have a talk? And so you'll see some founders that are just like, hey, thanks for the money. I'm out. And that's, you know, that's a transactional relationship. I understand, you know, no, no harm, no foul. Um, but, you know, some of the, the really good founders are going to be the ones that want to have a transformational relationship. And because that's just how that their mind works and how they view all the relationships. Which is really, really important. Uh, I don't understand that aspect of why uh, some founders would find it transactional. I mean, knowing that follow-on funding is going to be something uh, that they're going to need. And yeah. You think it's I, just not their game? They don't understand that they're not good at that? I, I, I think it is. I think it is. I think, I think being transformational in relationships, I think, Kim, is two things. One, you, you either understand it or you get to understand it. Right. Um, but I, I do see that a lot of people are transactional in some aspects. The vast majority though are not, are, are not transactional. They, they want to be trans transformational. They want to have a good effect on people and want to learn from other people as well. Do you all require uh, monthly or quarterly status reports? Uh, quarterly. Uh, yeah. Quarterly? Yeah. We want quarterly and then we do an annual survey. Uh, so we have an annual survey that we require just because of uh, we have to report back to the, you know, to the General Assembly on how well we're doing uh, in generating, um, you know, economic development. Uh, so we have an annual survey that we push out to companies. Uh, it's just part of the requirements. It's in the contract when you sign uh, to receive investment dollars. But it's just asking how many jobs you created. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what's your bottom line look like? Uh, have you recently received other investments? Because uh, that's all kind of just showing how they're growing and the economy in general in Virginia is growing as well. Yeah, that would, that that was another thing that would just kill me is uh, <laughs> you write a check to a founder, you hear nothing, no no status reports whatsoever until they want that next round of funding yeah. or, or, or the, the bridge round or whatever the case is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have received so many nasty emails when I've asked for that annual survey. Uh, <laughs> but again, vast majority, 90% of people are like, oh, yeah, hey, absolutely. Like, not a problem. I'll fill it out. No problem. Thanks for reminding me. I might not get it to it this week. I'll get it to next week. Yeah. But some are just like, hey, leave me alone. Mm. <laughs> All right, man. Like, cool. So, so over, over time with technology getting stronger, um, you see a lot of companies have less and less employees needed, less and less teammates needed, yet jobs is a requirement uh, as a data point for you. It, does that conversation come into play ever where it's like, hey, like we're not going to see like these huge, you know, multi-thousand person companies anymore? We, it's just it's just not the future. We're going to see companies with, you know, several dozen people. And, and how does that come into play? Do you see that kind of stuff? Is that really still a thing? Where Where, where is that? Yeah, so we actually don't worry about, um, you know, we don't have a jobs requirement, right? We don't say, hey, we need you to hire this many people in a certain amount of time um, when we invest money. Um, but I think that's a really interesting, uh, you know, topic of conversation, though, because what does the future of work look like, right? right. Like, how many people do you need um, in your uh 
in your company. And you, you kind of see it happening in the, in the real world yep. uh, with all these tech companies dropping people off because there was bloat. There was just a lot there of bloat. There was so much bloat. Yeah. yeah it, it was crazy. Uh, and they're just dropping all these people despite, you know, overall economic numbers, um, you know, uh, employment numbers, you know, trickling along and staying very well. Um, but yeah, there's just, there was a lot of blow in tech. So I think that there's now kind of the pendulum swinging back now, especially with COVID, uh, post COVID and investment dollars being, you know, not flowing as freely, uh, that the pendulum swung back now to where people are like, Hey, we really need to be efficient with who is in our office working for us and what they're generating and, and how much like revenue we can attach to each person. Have you seen, uh, Anything from the uh, AI standpoint starting to, to hit your inbox with uh, companies looking for funding? Yeah, yeah, we uh, we see we've seen a lot of advanced um, AI uh, ML stuff coming through, and it's all it's the spectrum. It, it's all over the place from coding, uh, like as is like you know, hey, we actually have AI ML to actually code itself, um, to like, hey, we just have it running in the background to. Hey, uh, this one company wants to be able to um, access and have just a really good API to generate some texts. So it, it is a broad spectrum. It really is um, a wild space right now. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around like the different aspects that it can enable life. And I, I don't really see it replacing jobs. I just see it being more like a force multiplier mm -hmm. within the workforce. Uh, and that's kind of what we're seeing now with some of these more companies coming in saying, hey, this is more of like a, a force multiplier within your job positions. This is how we can help people be more efficient yep. um, with the work and increase productivity for your companies. So we kind of see it more of like kind of a, a, a SaaS platform service aspect than anything. Um, you know, and I know some people want to call it like the, you know, the new Bitcoin, uh, the new crypto crunch, whatever. But mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't Personally, I don't see that with AI. I think this is something that's going to be here to stay. That's really going to be in the long run, like going to be generating a lot of economic development. I totally agree. I'm in the same camp that you are. When it comes to when you get not that AI, not that AI is a bubble. I mean, we just said it's here to stay. But when things get frothy and the, like the whole Web3 craze and all that, mm -hmm. or when, it, when the market gets hot, do you all stick to that six to eight week due diligence? And if you miss out on a deal, you miss out on a deal or uh, is, how do you all operate in that kind of the, the different environments? Yeah. I mean, we're people too, right? Like we, we catch FOMO as well. Like we really do. And um, there are, fortunately for us, people, we have a really good system in place to where like, Hey, you know, we're, I'm going to check you a little bit on, on this. Um, and our managing director, Tom, is really, really good about kind of having those diligent steps of corporate responsibility in place. Uh, but yeah, like we'll you, you'll catch yourself. You're like, oh, man, this is a great deal. Like, got to go. Got to do this now. Um, and th there are a couple where the entire team's like, hey, this is a phenomenal idea. Like we need to make sure that we catch this before the round closes. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we do. We it's one of those things where you have to kind of be a little self-aware of like, hey, am I just riding the train here um or is this like actually a revolutionary idea 
Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like we never learn. <laughs> like we just it repeats itself. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just because yeah, I mean valuations are they're I mean they're going way way up once AI is in there and and now just with the whole uh, GPU shortage and access to uh, to be able to process uh, that information, you know that that that's another reason why valuations are going up. How how do you all look at? Hey, I need to raise X amount of dollars because it needs to fund the equipment. Or do you or, or do you stay away from that? Do you support that? No, I so I I the way we look at the fundraises, um, especially we want to have like a good. We want to see a good idea of like what the use of funds is all about, mm -hmm. right? Like, hey, if we are raising one million dollars, forty percent of this is going to go towards sales. All right, so what is that four hundred thousand dollars going to get you in revenue? Like, I, I, I want you to break it down, um, and then you'll see. Hey, some of it's overhead. You know, we gotta. I have to pay my salary, right? Like, I, I'm a, I'm a full time entrepreneur, and we understand that as well. Like, that's taken into account. Um, then there's also kind of the breakdown of, uh, I need a new hire for, um, you know, tech, tech stack development, or I need to pay for, um, outsourcing this. Um, uh, we see a lot of, we see some outsourcing happening. Uh, you know, Ukraine was a big source, uh, for, uh, code coders for us. Um, Turkey is as well, uh, mm -hmm. when it comes not just us, but like in general for, um, software development. So we really want to see a, a good breakdown in the use of funds, but we want to see that, like, how is that attributed? Like, how is that going to generate revenue? We want you to be able to walk. We want to see the founder walk us through that. And, and that's that's how we want to see that raise of funds. Because if you're saying, hey, I'm just raising one and a half million dollars because that gets me to this valuation. It's like, all right, well, okay. But no, really, like, I want you to, like, walk me through this so I can understand it. Because I, other than that, that it's just your you're acting like this is not real money when it, it really is. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's something you want? What's something you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Uh, All right, <laughs> Tim. Any, anything else? No, I. Um, great, yeah, good conversation. A lot of, a lot of nuggets that uh, people should if they're paying attention they should uh they are now much more informed so good stuff yeah well i i really appreciate it you know zach tim uh and you know like we talked about ecosystems right this is part of it yep um so i really i really truly appreciate what you're doing it, it does it's it's paying it forward and uh i don't think there's anything better than that okay i i, I do have one one quick Mm -hmm. Question: What do you what do you all look for in uh, runway right now? Now that markets are tightening up. Ooh, great question. Um, I would say it used to be twelve months. I would say we're like more like sixteen, eighteen now. Yeah, that's the runway we're looking at. Well, all right, Dustin. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, Those thanks, interested, Justin. check them out at the link on the screen, Virginia ipc.org until next time thank you very much have a wonderful day and enjoy the beach bye bye